Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Everything is personal right here. Everything is personal right here Everything is personal right here Len and John rolling it up Listening as they change the industry Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. Today we have a very special guest with us, Lauren Fontaine, who is a, the co-founder, I believe chief compliance officer of the artistry. Welcome to the show. Did I get that right? You did. Thank you. Yeah. Glad to be here. All right. Yeah. No, thank you. I love, we'll get into the artistry. I, I just love the whole concept and, and experience. I think it's uh, it's really uh, interesting. And I really think that with the cannabis industry moving in a certain direction, differentiators are really important. And I'll, I'll get into that in some uh, point, but I wanted to find out a little bit more about you. So first of all, where did you grow up? I grew up in New Jersey, and then my family moved to Las Vegas, actually, uh, when I was in middle school. Um, so I went there for middle school and high school. And then after that, I moved away for college and other places after that. What part of Jersey did you grow up in? I grew up in a town called Westfield, um, which is kind of in north central Jersey, about half an hour from Manhattan. The reason why I asked that, because uh, I'm originally from Philly. I live in LA now, but I think people don't realize that, that Jersey has a, a dividing line in the middle. So it's like when you're in, in the middle of the state, 
you have to make a decision whether you're Philly or New York sports kind of fan. <laughs> and North Jersey, I used to work in Teaneck, New Jersey. So I, I know North Jersey uh, really well. And, and it's like, this is a Giants and Jets people and New York sports and South Jersey, Cherry Hill is like, that's all Philly sports. So Jersey doesn't have their own identity. They just identify based on the what they're right. to. Yeah. So we were on the, you know, Giants Jets side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all right. It's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll let it go. I'm just <laughs> so do you have siblings? Yes, I do. I, I'm the oldest of four kids. And then your parents moved to Vegas from Jersey. Uh, was it, uh, were they still together or is that, is that like a family uh, move? They what was were that? together. They uh, did get divorced later, so okay. they're no longer together. But when we moved there, they were still married. And my mom's family, my mom grew up in Buffalo, New York, but her family had all slowly migrated to Las Vegas, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. But it was, you know, growing a lot at the time, Las Vegas still is. You know, she had siblings that moved there, then her parents moved there. So then we were kind of the last of her family to move there. But it's a lot warmer than Buffalo, New York. So so you grew up with your four siblings. I want to kind of shift from Jersey to Vegas. It must have been kind of an interesting shift. When you went to school, like, was it hard making friends coming from Jersey? How was that experience, you know, kind of transitioning? It was definitely a big cultural shift. And, you know, people would tell me I had an accent and weather-wise, you know, super different. I went to a really big middle school in Las Vegas. So that was kind of different than where I had been, even though I was in public schools. So, you know, I think at first it was hard to get to know people because it's at an age where most people already have their friend network. But it was okay. And I was okay. You know, I met friends and everything was fine after a few months. So where are you in the sibling? Like uh, you have four, are you old? I'm the oldest. You're the oldest. Okay. So there was a lot of responsibility probably on you with, you know, taking care of the younger siblings and actually being sort of uh, an example in some way. Yes, I've been, I'm, so I'm 10 years older than my youngest sibling. So when he was young, I did a lot of babysitting. (laughs) Um, you know, helping then, like I said, my parents did get divorced, actually, I think, like, right before my freshman year of high school. So my mom was a single parent, my dad moved to another state. So definitely, I was helping like make dinners at an early age, uh, doing stuff around the house, like I said, you know, babysitting. Um, so that was, you know, kind of my role, but it was okay. Yeah, well, Freshman year of high school, I remember it distinctly. Uh, it was a very long time ago for me, but it's a very uh, fragile transitional state in your life as as a teenager. Uh, like going from middle school to high school, there's all these changes, and then your parents get divorced at that time. Like, how did that affect you? It was stressful. I remember I kept having really bad headaches and my mom took me to the doctor and they kept saying, it's probably stress related. Um, You know, there's nothing we can see in your head or anything like that. Um, So I think I definitely was feeling, you know, the transition and uncertainty in our house and our home situation and all of that. And then, you know, my mom obviously being really stressed. but it was, 
in a way it was good being the oldest one though because I felt like I understood better what was happening why they were separating you know why it was actually the right thing for my mom to do and my younger siblings were a lot younger like the youngest was you know three or four so they really just don't even have a strong memory of my dad being around or being in that environment and I was able to probably process it better because I was you know could understand what was happening did you maintain any relation with your dad at that time or I have a very minimal relationship with him um you know mostly because he did not reach out a lot to any of us he didn't come visit he you know would come to like my high school graduation but then I wouldn't see him again for a few years I think probably then my college graduation was the next time I saw him and now it's been I don't even know like 10 plus years since I've seen him and it's just kind of an occasional text like happy birthday or happy Thanksgiving or you know but it's very it's minimal so it's you know unfortunate um but really it was mostly him not being there, being available, like wanting to really have the relationship with his kids. I mean, four kids, and I'm sorry if I'm prying, I'm, ju I'm just curious about this because, you know, you know four kids, I'm a dad, I'm, I have a daughter uh, as well, uh, who, who's in college now, but like, you know, and there's no judgment. I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out curiously. So, you know, something happens in the family and I'm divorced as well. Families separate, but not having any relationship with your kids as for them. Uh, was he going through some challenges? Were there, was there like, I, I hear this from people who have substance abuse challenges. Yeah, there was, things. there was that. I think that he had some mental health issues. You know, it hasn't, as far as I know, been, I don't know if there's a formal diagnosis there, but I definitely think that is a factor. Um, and he's continued to have kind of a tumultuous life, you know? Um, and so that I think that definitely plays a part of it. I have three kids myself now. So it was now that I have kids, it's like sadder in a way and also kind of harder to like, you know, to say, how could somebody just abandon their kids? Like getting divorced is, you know, one thing and, and that's fine, but you could still be around, right, and, right. you know, whatever do 50 50 custody or however you do it but the divorce itself is not the issue um but yeah it's hard to like understand but i feel like there must be other things contributing besides just you know he wasn't a normal functioning person at that time and i, I think he's still having struggles but when you were in when it was a household together did you see like clues of this being the oldest sibling that there was some instant yeah like he would like be gone for a few days at a time you know my parents would fight a lot uh, he like quit his job once all of a sudden and bought a sports car and like a lot of things that which is another reason why i think i understood because i was the oldest one and you know other the other kids just didn't even really establish a strong bond with him because of their age um so yeah a lot of a lot of signs was there was there like financial pressures and all that stuff you know having one parent who and the other parents absent and four kids that must yeah definitely so you know even before they were formally divorced he was racking up debt and doing things that were 
cause <laughs> causing financial strain on our family. Um, and then, you know, part of the reason of moving was also because Las Vegas, the cost of living was a lot less. So that was going to help. But then, yeah, my mom was the sole supporter of my family after that. So, you know, now I can't even imagine how she did it. Like I have three kids, like I said, but I'm not single and it's very hard anyway. So I don't know how she managed, but she, you know, worked, she, money was tight. We had to like, you know, we shopped at like exclusively at food for less. I remember we, you know, just had to scrimp and save, shop at thrift stores, like that kind of thing. You know, money was always tight. I worked, I started working when I was 15 because that was like the age when you could work. So I worked as a busser, then I worked in like retail. So I always worked in high school and then onward. So I could like do stuff with my friends or buy clothes or whatever, because it was just really hard for my mom to do all of that. But she did an amazing job. And like I said, I have no idea how she was able to handle all that and all the, you know, emotional strain. When you were a kid growing up, what did you want to be? What what did you know what you wanted to do? Did you have interests? Were you into sports? Did you say, hey, you know what, I'm interested in art or what were your interests and what did you like kind of envision yourself doing or being? I don't think I had a firm, you know, idea in my head, like, yes, I always wanted to be a doctor or biologist or something like that. But I was always very into school and I was a good student. And, you know, I really wanted to go to a good college. I was into a lot of arts and music and drama stuff in high school. So like the choir and the school musicals and I was in jazz band at one point. And so I thought I might pursue something with music in college, but I didn't I think I was going to be a professional musician necessarily. Um, but yeah, I was kind of open even, you know, the first couple of years of college, I, I was on a path where I did, I majored in psychology. So I also thought maybe I would do something in that realm professionally. Um, but then ultimately I ended up going to law school and becoming a lawyer. So how did that, so it's, talk to me about that transition. Most attorneys or lawyers that, that I actually have uh, spoken with, it's a similar thing. They didn't like grow up, I want to be a lawyer. You know, they just, you just grow up and you kind of go through and like, man, you know, law school makes sense because I'm not really sure. Was that, was that sort of your, uh, uh, you know, your path? Yeah, in a way, you know, I had friends in college that were planning to go to law school, so when I graduated, I took the LSAT, but I wasn't planning to apply right away. And then the other thing that was kind of, you know, a lot of people did at my school because they went to Dartmouth in New Hampshire was work as a paralegal in New York City or in like a big city for a couple of years before your next step. That was kind of like a thing a lot of people did because it was, you know, a good job to get your foot in the door somewhere entry level. And then most people, you know, were like, I'll do this for two years and maybe go to grad school or whatever. So that's what I did. So after college, I went and worked in New York as a paralegal and I liked it a lot. So that was the other reason why I ended up applying to law school. And then you moved to Los Angeles, correct? Yeah, I went, I moved here to LA for law school. Yeah. You went to UCLA? Mm -hmm. Okay. Got it. So from Vegas to Dartmouth to New York to LA, and then uh, you ended up settling here, correct? Right. In LA. I'm curious about this uh, whole, and we'll, we'll talk about cannabis and we'll talk about artistry. I'm, I'm curious about psychology 
and you know your pursuit of it and then how psychology uh kind of interacts with with cannabis use and and uh, you know the not only the classes that you took but maybe the experiences uh, that you've had was there was there an experience that you had early on with cannabis yourself or maybe people that you were around and sort of how did your psychology background lend itself to that experience hmm, that's an interesting question so like i said i was a psychology major and in college and minored in music. And I actually was focused on how our brain processes music. So my senior thesis was on cognitive perception of music and doing MRI brain scans to see what areas of the brain are activated. Um, so I was really interested in the crossover of those two things. Mm-hmm. Can, you know, I was a cannabis user in college as well. And obviously there's, you know, the heightened perception of music and all types of arts and you know that kind of thing and so i think it's really interesting how cannabis can be the source of creativity and also this way to help people appreciate the arts even more um psychology wise you know back then people weren't really talking about the health benefits of cannabis it was more you know strictly recreational but i definitely believe that for you know there's different mental health issues like anxiety or depression or you know, other things where it can, it can have a huge benefit to people. And so I definitely think just, you know, as a, even if you're really stressed out as a form of relaxation, you know, which is therapeutic and something people need, um, that it, it has that effect. And so I don't know, I can't say that, you know, when I was in college, I was thinking about all that. It was more cannabis for fun, right? Cannabis hanging out with my friends before we went somewhere. Um, but now that I've been in that world for so long, I really do, you know, strongly advocate for all of its benefits. Now that you're, you're a lawyer, you complete law school, and uh, I'm not sure what you did right afterwards, but how did you get into the cannabis space? What, what was the trajectory? So that definitely was not planned. I was working as a lawyer in LA at a large firm in downtown um, in the finance department. So, you know, very much corporate law world. Um, and I wasn't happy in that environment. I was very... How can anybody be in that environment? Yeah, nobody's happy in that environment, right? Like nobody (laughs) stays there after a few years. So, you know, that burnout is really typical. But, and I always think maybe if I had gone to like a smaller law firm or a different type of law, maybe I would have liked it a lot better and stayed with that. But I didn't like what I was doing. And so what I actually wanted to do was to transition to a career as a chef, as a pastry chef and open a bakery. Hmm. Um, Cause that was like my passion at that time. And still I love baking. And so I went to a professional pastry program. I started working with a party planner. So I was doing like catering for parties, all dessert stuff. Um, and I was on the path to open a bakery. I was actually with my partner. We were scouting locations and came up with this whole business plan. And then um, his brother, who's one of my partners now, was he owned a dispensary in LA and he was looking for edibles because that was like 2008, 2009 when, you know, there weren't good options for edibles. Things were like in Ziploc bags. Um, and he had a store that at the time was, you know, nicer than the average store. And so, and, and the vendors were very unreliable also, right? Like they might show up, they might not. So he 
he was like, oh, you're, you know, cookies are so good. Or, and so then I started making things for him and then actually developed a brand and realized I could distribute them to lots of stores in LA because there were, you know, already probably a couple hundred dispensaries just in the LA area. So in, in, I'm sorry, in, infused, I just want to say. Yeah, oh, infused, yeah, infused baked goods. So yeah. it's making yeah. baked goods and then a lot of candy as well because he had a lot of people requesting that. So I learned how to make, you know, hard candies and caramels and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, and th but this is a uh, prior to, uh, this is like a uh, prop 215 SP420 days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is like 2009 yeah. all the way until 2018. Okay. And then when that transition in the law happened, up until that time, you were still making the, the baked goods and all that stuff. Was there a change when the law uh, changed over to in, in California that you had to transition everything? Like, how was the transition to actually like incorporating what you do? Or did you not, uh, did you give up all the baked goods stuff when you started, uh, when the law changed and uh, started working more closely with, uh, with the dispensary? I ended up giving it up because I, before 2018, I started working with a lot of dispensaries, helping them with licensing. And uh, I even got applied for a manufacturing license in Los Angeles, which we got because that's what we would have needed to continue uh, the bakery facility. But they had new zoning rules on, you know, where that could be located. So we had a commercial kitchen, but it wasn't zoned. It was like, in a commercial area, but now we would have to be in an industrial area. So we would have had to close and reopen the whole facility. So there was a lot we would have to do. And then at that same time, I decided to start this artistry concept with my partner and a couple other people. And because we were lucky to win that license, we all basically decided to focus on that and they, my partners had other stores as well in the LA area. So I just transitioned to retail at that point. So you got a license for retail, for retail sales or just manufacturing? So I got before the artistry, I had yeah. gotten a license for retail and I had uh -huh. worked with, I'm sorry, I had got a license for my, my company for yeah. manufacturing because that's what edibles is classified. Right, right, right. And then I had also helped a lot of these pre ICO dispensaries, the ones in LA that were medical to get their rec licenses with the city basically mm -hmm. they were the only stores eligible when mm -hmm. they first opened up licensing so there was just a process to go through to formally transition to being adult use um, at the beginning of 2018 mm -hmm. so i was working a lot on that and then and then i personally decided not to reopen the edible business in a new location but instead to focus on the artistry so you opened the artistry with your partner. Like you said, you had an art concept that you're working on. I'm just trying to kind of bridge the gap between you gave up the edibles, the art concept, and then the artistry. Like how did that come about? So the artistry really came about because of the city of West Hollywood. They were offering new licenses for retail and consumption lounges. And that was what we were really excited about. They were the only place around that was allowing consumption lounges. You know, they were the first one of the first in the whole state. And we thought it would be really cool to have a lounge space. So we were really most excited about that. 
But we decided to also apply for retail licenses and delivery. And part of what they were looking for, because they had this very, you know, complex application process and scoring system was something unique and something that was, you know, upscale and professional and design forward. And also that reflected the city's values. And, you know, West Hollywood is very diverse and dynamic and has a lot of artists and theaters and, you know, concert venues and comedy clubs and all that. So um, that is what inspired us to come up with the artistry concept because we, we had been in this cannabis world in LA, you know, for, 10 plus years and we knew what a normal dispensary was, what it looked like, you know, there's hundreds of them around. So we really wanted to stand out and be different. And we wanted to also kind of elevate the cannabis experience to this new era of adult use. So to give people something they wouldn't expect and something that was nicer than anything that existed, but also that would appeal to a broader audience of consumers than just the people that have been, you know, consumers their whole lives. And so by tying in the art, we now have these locations, which are really could stand alone as an art gallery. And they have a lot of space in the store dedicated to that. And they're designed around the art. And so that is a, a place where people will come in and feel comfortable, even if they've never shopped at a dispensary before, or if they're an older customer. So that was a lot of what we were thinking, right? Is like, this is a huge transition time for the industry. And now we're showing people that we can be on par with an upscale retail place that's non-cannabis and it's not what you think. And we don't have the, you know, blacked out windows and we designed it to feel a lot more like a non-cannabis place that people would want to frequent. So so for people that really don't know the artistry, uh, you know, outside of California or in in Jersey, uh, how would you... How would you describe the artistry to those people? What What's the concept? So our concept is to promote local artists, really, and to highlight the synergy between cannabis and art. Um, and cannabis has been, you know, for thousands of years, a source of creative inspiration that artists have used. Um, it's been used by people for, you know, spiritual reasons and as a way to appreciate art. Um, and there's just such a tie to culture, artist culture. And I'm not just talking about visual arts like painters, but, you know, musicians or really any type of art, poets. Um, there's just this huge, you know, long tradition of that being a part of, you know, music culture, art culture. And so we wanted to highlight that and, and promote local artists in the areas where our stores were. So our concept was to create stores that operate as a hybrid between an art gallery and a dispensary. And we did that with the design of the space. So if you came into one of our stores now, you'll see there's art art displays. You know, it's not just... There's a lot of dispensaries that might have art on the wall, but we really made it look and feel like a gallery with these freestanding displays throughout the space. A lot of our stores have murals. Um, we rotate the art every three months. So it's really a robust program that's thought out. We have an art curator and all the artists are able to sell their work. So it functions like a gallery, but we don't take proceeds from the sale. So they have the opportunity to display. And we've had a huge variety of artists, some of them 
are somewhat well-known. Some of them are you know, up and coming and have never been in a gallery before. So it's a really nice way to expose our customers to art and make it more accessible to them. Um, and, you know, because there's people that come in that maybe there aren't collectors, but most of them, you know, maybe never bought a real original piece of artwork, but maybe they will now that they came in the store or at, at the least they're now aware of this artist that exists. Um, and so it's, it's been great to see, you know, how artists have really enjoyed being part of the space. And also just when people walk in the door, they're like, wow, I didn't expect this. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a great concept. It makes total sense that all the things you said about, you know, cannabis enhancing the experience. You know, some people have adverse effects, but for the most part, you know, when uh, when those properly and get the right type of cannabinoid and, uh, and terpene profile, it does connect with people and can open their eyes. I love the concept. What you said makes total sense. I mean, I, I used to be in the dispensary business many years ago, and it was that type of, uh, you know, blacked out windows and spray paint and it was a very uh hip-hop focused concept which is which is fine but you know my, my dad wouldn't go into that place you know other people that are, that are that i know wouldn't actually go into that uh, place because they feel intimidated by that so having a art gallery concept makes sense and now you can introduce you know cannabis uh, and art as as a sort of a merger of the two what you you brought up other types of art is it is it just visual art that's in the artistry, or do you actually have other artistic events as, as part of lounge concept, whether as musicians or or poets or performers as well? We have that in the lounge, and so that, like I said, when we created the artistry, we were already thinking about the consumption lounge and the concept for that, and so in that space, we always envision it to be a performance venue as well as a lounge. Mm-hmm. Um, where the, you know, we could have all types of art. So we have stand up comedy shows. We have live jazz groups. You know, we have DJ nights. We have had, um, open mic nights with like all different types of performers. We do drag brunches. Um, and we do art classes. So puff and paint classes. And then we have other, you know, wellness types of programming too, like sound baths and yoga. Um, so in that space, We've really tried to also highlight the local artist community in LA. Um, and we've done like uh, performance art events as well. So a lot of different things that, you know, tie into all of the artists around here. Is is the lounge like separate from the dispensary just so people can visualize it? And do you have to be a member? Like, how does it work? Like if I if I want to just go into the lounge and I want to see a show or I want to dance, or and I want to consume cannabis while I'm doing it. How does it work? So the lounge is in the same building as our West Hollywood retail store, and it's the it's a three story building. So on the first level is the retail area. The lounge is on the second and third floors. So you you know just enter through the main entrance on the first floor, and if you want to go to the lounge, you would go upstairs. Um, it's open to the public, so most times you could you know either make reservations for seating like if you're going on a friday or saturday night i would definitely recommend that if you went today if you went right now at 12 you could walk in you could order lunch you could just hang out and then when we have events 
A lot of them are ticketed, just depending on what it is, right? So if it's a puff and paint class, we sell tickets on Eventbrite. If it's um, a DJ night, there might be a cover charge to get in kind of thing, but there's not a membership fee. um, And it's, you know, there's not a cover fee during normal operating hours. It's just operates like a restaurant where you come in, you have to purchase whatever you're consuming. So we don't allow you to bring in your own cannabis. And that's for compliance reasons and insurance reasons, mostly. But just like any bar restaurant, right? You're not coming in and like bringing in a beer. You have to purchase whatever you want to consume. And you could purchase it on the first floor in the retail area if you wanted and bring it upstairs or you can purchase it in the lounge. And you mentioned food. So is it a restaurant that serves food as well? Yeah, so we're actually integrated with a restaurant um, right near our location um, because of the state law right now. And I don't know how familiar you are with that, but there's very odd restrictions on cannabis businesses that they haven't changed. And actually, Governor Newsom just vetoed a new bill that was supposed to fix this, but we're not legally allowed to sell non-cannabis goods. So that would include food and drinks that are not infused. Um, and so because of that, we didn't build it with a kitchen on site and we work with a nearby restaurant who can actually deliver the things plated to our guests. So if you're sitting at the table, the idea is it feels like a seamless experience. You're going to get a nice plated pasta meal <laughs> and your appetizer and a dessert. And it doesn't feel like it's delivery, uh, but technically it's coming from a different place. Do you feel that like consuming food while consuming cannabis is something that people like connect with? Because I've been to a couple of, uh, I'm not, I'm going to mention names of other cannabis lounges in the, in West Hollywood, but I've been to one that the concept was, you know, they bring you out a menu of cannabis, you pick out your cannabis, uh, then you pick your food, they deliver your cannabis and they deliver your burger, whatever, and I don't. I never understood why I would want to consume, you know, smoke a joint and eat a burger at the same time. It just didn't didn't connect with me because I remember, like, go to Amsterdam and going to uh, the, the lounges there. And okay, I can consume. I can they get some coffee or some tea and maybe some cake or sometimes it's space cake, <laughs> right? Like a coffee shop. Sometimes it's space cakes, so you got to be really careful which cake you're, you're getting there uh, from personal experience. But I, I never understood that concept. So yes, I understand the concept of I consume cannabis and my munchies kicked in and I would like to eat something probably there and I don't want to leave anywhere. So that makes sense. But I didn't understand that concept of, uh, of consuming while, while I'm eating. So uh, I'm, I'm assuming that you're doing a little, a little bit differently? So we wanted it to feel like a hospitality experience. And we thought it was important to have food there, you know, as a complement to the cannabis and the programming. So there's definitely people that come in, don't order food, come in, you know, just to smoke, or maybe they will to get a coffee. Like we have a great coffee options or, you know, whatever, a little snack item. Um, but We also felt like it was important to have an actual full food menu for people that do want to sit there for an hour and a half or two hours with their friends or come, you know, during dinner time or during brunch. And um, it just adds to the experience and makes it also feel 
less like a cannabis specific venue and more like a place where you could just come hang out. So we have people, you know, that come with friends that aren't even consuming cannabis. I see that all the time. Um, or maybe they don't like to smoke, so they'll get some kind of cannabis beverage. Um, so, you know, for all of those reasons, we wanted it to, to have the food component and we wanted people to kind of take it seriously as you know, a viable alternative to a normal restaurant or a normal bar. Yeah, it makes total sense to me. Like if, once again, you just said it's personal experience, uh, also however you want to do it. So, you know, drinking a coffee and smoking a joint or consuming a, a beverage or even having an edible or maybe having your dinner, then after dinner, you can consume some uh, some cannabis uh, as, you're, as you're watching a show or listening to music or uh, makes total sense. How, how does an artist get featured at the artistry? So we have, you know, we've worked with different comedians that organize their stand-up shows because they have their own network. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been just through connections that we have or a lot of our brands have artist networks. Similarly with DJs, you know, sometimes they'll bring in people they're working with or we'll source people that have a following in the West Hollywood community or, you know, something like that. Um, like I said, we've done open mics in the past. That's great. So we'll actually take submissions. And because we have so much interest, we'll have to, you know, kind of weed through them and let the people know if they're cleared to perform on that night. Um, and we've gotten like dancers and comics and, you know, singers and musicians, other types of instrumental musicians. So it's a really cool variety of people that have performed. Um, we've had like some, you know, fairly well-known DJs there. And then, you know, like I said, like jazz bands that have a following in the area. What if you're a visual artist, you, you, you're a painter, you have paintings, and I, I want to have my paintings displayed at the artist street for sale. Like how, what's the process of doing that? So we have an application form online. Um, we get a lot of applications, so that's really great. And um, we work with Art Lounge Collective, who does our art curation for us. And they are based in LA. They have their own gallery and they do a lot of curation for local hotels as well and other venues. Um, so that's been amazing. So they also have a network of artists and are doing their own artist outreach already. But we get a lot of submissions directly to the artistry. And so, you know, they'll also communicate with those people, reach out to them. A lot of our artists, especially in other cities, come from people that either just come into the store and shop and happen to be artists or people that hear about us and apply. Or we'll do open artist calls as well. So we'll work with like the Fresno Arts Council in Fresno or West Hollywood has an arts council. So sometimes we'll just put out calls to artists through that to encourage people to apply. Yeah, I just think it's it's so cool to have a concept that's outside of the the dispensary model because I mean there's there's room for for those as well if you want to just run in and get your cannabis, but to have an experience that I can take people into that have some fear around cannabis and there's stigma associated with it. Like, like I mentioned before, like these old school uh type of uh uh, these old school type of uh, shops that you go into, I wouldn't take certain people, but this is an actual visual sensory experience. And by consuming cannabis, you can enhance those experiences 
Or if you choose not to, that's fine. You still have, uh, you know, a connection to the art or music and everything. So uh, I love that concept. What's what's next for the artistry? Is it is the goal to sort of expand into more stores or uh, more locations? Uh, what What's the next uh, kind of trajectory? We're still expanding. So our goal is to continue to open more stores um, in California. We have seven right now and we have two that are in development that you know are in construction phase um, in Hawthorne and Ventura. And we also have some other pending applications out there. So, you know, we feel pretty confident we have at least another two more that are moving forward. So those are all retail, except we will have one more lounge in Hawthorne. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd love to, you know, continue with more lounges as well. But even now, there aren't many cities that allow it. So Hawthorne was kind of the next one after West Hollywood and the SoCal area. Um, but we, so we're expanding still. You know, we do a lot of applications for new cities when they come online. And then we're looking at out-of-state opportunities also. Uh, that's what I was going to ask, because out-of-state, because, you know, first of all, raising money in this uh, in, environment is very difficult in the cannabis uh, space. But if you have a proven concept and you're expanding, uh, I'm sure that, you know, other larger MSOs, let's say, have, may have knocked on, on your door and say, hey, we like this concept. How can we integrate? But I, it's very difficult to scale. Because the consistency and your process as you go out of state, I've seen this with so many, it definitely changes because you're not controlling the entire experience. So that's what I was going to say. If you are moving out of state and into different states, how do you still maintain that that quality control over your unique experience? Yeah, so it'd be very important to us to still have control over the business. You know, a lot of the opportunities we've explored out of state, we'd be partnering with someone local that already has the license, or maybe they're eligible to get a license because a lot of these states have rules like social equity where you have to be a resident there or things like that. Um, And so we are very hands-on owners. You know, we have had a conservative expansion over the past few years in the sense that we look for markets where we really think our concept makes sense and not just any city that's allowing cannabis. Um, And we go to all the openings and, you know, like as a owner and founder, I'm very involved with the day-to-day operations of all the stores as are my other partners and co-founders. Um, and so that we're definitely kind of nervous about how we do this yeah. out of state because it's not like one of us can just drive or fly there and yeah. get be there in a couple hours. Or, you know, we have our VP of operations now that oversees all of our current places. So we would probably have to find somebody similar to do that in another region if we were to do that. And definitely, you know, finding the leadership that could be the on the ground management at that new store would be key. Um, But we do have a whole system developed now that makes it fairly easy development wise to move in and, you know, have the same standard millwork and interior design and the architect we work with and all of that to make sure that it looks the same. It feels the same, you know, our customer training and customer service, all of that is very detailed. And so, as we've opened stores here, we've been able to, you know, replicate exactly the the process that we started in the West Hollywood store. Um, and we are 
really trying to create a brand that, you know, there's meaning to that and consistency. And, you know, it has this more upscale feel that just feels different. So I see the opportunity in other states because the markets are so much less developed where, you know, there aren't a lot of people like us, you know, in in California, there are, you know, a few big operators that operate at a higher level still than, you know, the average store. Um, but in a lot of these other markets, it's not there yet. And there's not the variety of products that we have here and all of that. So I feel like our brand being more accessible to consumers, like you said, having the art element is a great brand for a new market where there's, you know, consumers that maybe haven't been purchasing cannabis in the past or might be more leery about having dispensaries in their area. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think it's that consistent quality that overseeing that with SOPs, but having those people that it's the concept is so unique. You have to execute on that concept in other places where you don't have this same control over. So it does lend itself to some challenges. I've seen a couple of companies that try to do that in different states and uh, it didn't go well. And I think one of the reasons is they don't have the, the SOPs in place that you need. Also, it's the people on the ground that you mentioned overseeing the execution or actually understand your vision and it can go execute that and replicate that in other states because you know the, the products are different but it, but if you maintain your standards of excellence i uh, we can still you know achieve uh, success that way i think yeah um, so like we would bring them here like even now when we open you know we open our first northern california store but that manager had to train for three weeks at our West Hollywood and our Fresno stores and like really get in tune with the, the culture and, you know, all of our operational systems. And then she had a lot of support from our existing employees when that store opened as well. Right. So we sent a team there to be the startup crew. And so giving all of that support. Yeah. Um, All right. So I have a few, uh, more personal questions uh, for you as as we sort of uh, uh, wrap up a little bit. Um, please describe your first experience with cannabis. Okay, so the the you know I'm just trying to think. So it would have been in college, and it was in a fraternity. It was like my friends. I don't know if they were dating at the. It was like her boyfriend, and you know, I we went over there to hang out, and people were smoking, and so I just decided to try it. And I don't think I really even got high the first time it was, you know, I didn't have a bad experience. It just wasn't particularly exciting. Um, But then that, you know, was repeated many times just hanging out in the like overall social, you know, it was really lots of people were uh, smoking in college and it was what people did when they were hanging out at parties and stuff. So I tried it a few more times and I liked it a lot. And then it just became like a standard part of our, you know, social life there. Good experience then. So I'm a music person. You obviously, uh, you know, you talked about your, your interest in music too. Do you remember the very first concert that you attended? So what was it? I think, well, I attended like this Peter, Paul and Mary concert with my uncle when I was like a kid, but then I think it was no doubt. I I was in high school. I was like right when they came out and they were, you know, became popular. We went to a lot of like ska concerts of like not well-known artists there. That was like a big thing in Vegas at the time. 
Um, but I remember going to No Doubt at the Thomas and Mack Center in, in Vegas um, and um, with like some friends. And that was really exciting. What was the last one that you attended? Um, I just went to see John Legend at the Hollywood Bowl a few weeks ago. Yeah. That was actually a great concert. Um, so yeah, that's the most recent one. Cool. All right. So this is a question that I ask my guests. I'm going to ask the question. I'll, I'll talk and get, let you think a little bit. So if you can only listen to five albums for the next year, what would be those albums? But as you were thinking through this, I just want to preface, you can just say John Legend. You don't have to name the, the name of the actual album. It can just be the, a, you know, a album by so-and-so. So what would be those, those five? And I, I'm prefacing this because I'm capturing a moment in time. I, people do this to me. I have like a, a couple, maybe three go-tos and then the other two like fluctuate depending on. So I'm just capturing a moment in time now. Yeah. So I would say probably Full Moon Fever by Tom Petty. I'm, yeah, very much into like the old school classic rock. Maybe a Billy Joel, one of his like earlier albums, Fleetwood Mac. I'm trying to think of something more current that I'm like really into. I have to listen to like my young kids music all the time, which is whatever. But who else? Things that I listen to a lot are like the Lumineers. Pearl Jam. Um, did I say five? Yeah, yeah. that's five. That's five. <laughs> that was five. Yeah, it, it's funny. I just saw Mike Campbell's Dirty Knobs uh, last week. So you were mentioning Tom Petty. Mike Campbell is uh, so he he did. It was twentieth anniversary of Damn the P- Torpedoes, and he did this uh, tribute uh, to uh, Tom Petty and did a bunch of those songs like at the end of a set. Just a wonderful, and he sounds like Tom Petty, like. Very close uh, to, for years, he would play in the Heartbreakers, never sang, never even sang backup. Then we started Dirty Knobs. Tom Petty went in to listen, and he was shocked. He was like, I cannot believe how much he sounds like me. Mm-hmm. I'm, not sure. I'm not sure he was very happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, wait. Yeah, I saw one of his last shows when he was here at the Hollywood Bowl. So sad. Yeah. Because it was like. He performed an amazing show, and then the very next day. Yeah, I was there. I was there at the, at the, at the Hollywood Bowl show. Yeah. Yeah. So. so I was like so grateful that I was there amazing. because of the timing of everything. Exactly. What has cannabis meant in your life? So you know, it's it's my career, right? So it is you know my sole focus as a as a career person now, and you know, definitely there's so many facets to it that I'm doing a lot of different things. I'm our chief compliance officer, but Mm -hmm. I also work with the art, you know, overseeing the art curator. I do a lot of our nonprofit outreach. I work on marketing things that we're doing in the stores. And so, you know, I'm super familiar with the products that we carry and all the licensing stuff, which is not the fun stuff. But so, you know, it has that, piece to it, which, you know, on the one hand, it's my job, but I'm so grateful because it is such an interesting and dynamic industry to be in. And it's still, you know, it's become more professional, but at the same time, it's still very much collegial and a community and, you know, people that have been in for a while, like legacy people, there's a lot of them that I worked with, you know, back in the day, and they're still around and doing new and different things. Um, 
And so I kind of love that there's that community of people um, and everyone in general is kind of trying to help each other. And, you know, it's not the cutthroat big law environment by any means. Um, But then, you know, personally, I'm a consumer as well. And so I am definitely always advocating it to people as an alternative to alcohol. For me, it's it's been a a great option for me instead of alcohol, Um, just, you know, health wise. Um, And now there's so many ways to like consume it and control the dosing and, you know, the quality of the products is so amazing. So I definitely enjoy it, you know, on a regular basis. And I feel like I'm trying to like move it into the mainstream culture of the non-cannabis consumers. So like they see that it's an option. Um, And I have lots of mom friends that, you know, maybe they were anxious about things or just, you know, it was a way or they're going through chemo. That's another thing. Like I've had many family members and friends that have um, gone through chemo, had cancer and um, it's, you know, they were so grateful. It's really has like such a huge benefit to people in that scenario. And those are people I worked with a lot also at the edible business. So our products, especially these hard candies were, you know, known as being something that was a very good option for people that were using it for medicinal purposes, because they were dose, they were, you know, easy, you didn't have to smoke it. Um, And I think it's really important to still, you know, bring that to people's mind that this is, you know, a necessary substance for a lot of people just so that they can have a good quality of life. Um, But then recreationally, it's just another, you know, good alternative. And in California, it's very mainstream, but there's still a lot of places where it's shunned or, you know, people are scared of it or they have these ideas that it leads to like fentanyl addiction. I'm always having to, you know, have these conversations with people um, and kind of debunk these myths. Yeah, that that's great. Um, and I completely agree with you on the on the therapeutic properties. Uh, I mean, that's sort of uh, what I created my career around. Uh, all right, so final bonus question. Uh, please describe what your room looked like growing up. Like as a kid, um, I had a lot of. <laughs> it was a very cluttered with toys and stuffed animals room. So I just remember having you know like a wall of dolls and. Uh, tons of stuffed animals that all have their own names. I still have my very first stuffed animal whose name is Arthur <laughs> that I've had my entire life. Now my daughter sleeps with him. Um, it had a dresser with, you know, like all sorts of kid jewelry and lots of purses hanging up. And my closet was, you know, it was, it was cluttered, <laughs> but it was very girly looking. Got it. Uh, so where can people uh, find out more about uh, the artistry, connect and engage? You can go to our website, theartistry.com or our Instagrams at theartistry. Uh, and so you can find out about, you know, everything that's happening. You can on the website, there's info on all the stores. You can order online. You can order delivery. Then there's also lounge information. So all of the, you know, schedule and calendar of events. And if you want to book a table, you can do that there. Um, So yeah, that's probably the best way to find out. Cool. Cool. Lauren, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. I love the concept and uh, hopefully, you know, my audience will uh, become uh, guests of the artistry. So I really appreciate it. Love to see you all. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon and I'm Saba and we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while While we we break break it all down. down.